All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton, and we are standing in the confessional corner, continuing our look at the fourth commandment, especially as we get into the middle section in the large catechism that not only talks about the fathers of state, but also brings up the promise that is given in the commandment itself. So let's look again at the commandment from the small catechism. The fourth commandment, you shall honor your father and your mother that it may be well with you and you may live long upon the earth. What does it mean? We should fear and love God so that we may not despise or anger our parents and other authorities, but give them honor, serve them, obey them, and hold them in love and esteem. So far, the small catechism from Concordia, the reader's edition. So as we get into this section of the fourth commandment, we're picking up in paragraph 131. And again, picking up on the promise that is there. Over and above all this, another great reason that should move us more to obey this commandment is that God attaches to it a temporal promise, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Exodus 20.12 From this, you can see for yourself how serious God is about this commandment. He not only declares that it is well-pleasing to him and that he has joy and delight in it, but he also declares that it shall prosper us and promote our highest good so that we may have a pleasant and agreeable life furnished with every good thing. Therefore, St. Paul also greatly emphasizes the same promise and rejoices in it when he says that this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Ephesians 6, 2 and 3. Although the rest of the commandments have promises in them, none is so plainly and clearly stated. Here we have the great promise of not only the fourth commandment, but truly all of the commandments. If we do this, if we show our parents and other authorities honor and serve them with willing hearts in the ways that are pleasing to God, he will also grant us great blessings like long life. So he says that if you do this commandment, if you do all of the commandments, you will live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And if you look into Deuteronomy, he has the same thing again. But he also has the other side, that if you fail to do them, you will not live long in the land. And that is repeated over and over again, not only through the commandments, but also through Old Testament history. We pick up again in paragraph 134. Here then you have learned the fruit and the reward, that whoever keeps this commandment shall have happy days, fortune, and prosperity. On the other hand, you have also learned the punishment, that whoever is disobedient shall perish sooner and never enjoy life. For to have long life in the sense of the scriptures is not only to become old, but to have everything that belongs to long life, health, wife, children, livelihood, peace, good government, and so on. Without these things, this life can neither be enjoyed in cheerfulness nor long endure. If, therefore, you will not obey father and mother and submit to their discipline, then obey the hangman. If you will not obey him, then submit to the skeleton man, that is death. For God will insist on this in some. If you obey him, offering love and service, he will reward you abundantly with all good. 
If you offend him, he will send upon you both death and the hangman. What is long life? What is this promise that God gives? Luther summarizes it very succinctly. Everything you can want in life. Health, wife, children, livelihood, peace, good government, and so on. We see this promise weighed out for us throughout the scriptures. As we get into 1 Timothy chapter 2, this coming Sunday in the three-year lectionary, we have the encouragement to pray for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live a godly and peaceable, quiet life. This is the long life that God promises in the scriptures. Not necessarily that you live out an innumerable number of days like you have in the genealogies before the flood, living eight, nine, almost a thousand years. No, but having everything you can want and having it in abundance. As Jesus tells his disciples, I have come to give life and to give it to them abundantly. This is the long life promised in this commandment. And if you don't, well, then there is death and the hangman for you. And the hangman shows up very much in especially uh, commandments 4, 5, and 7 in the large catechism. So we'll see the hangman show up again and Luther bringing him out as the executioner of ultimate justice in this life. And so we have this still in paragraph 137. Where do so many rogues come from that must daily be hanged, beheaded, or broken upon the wheel? Don't they come from disobedience to parents because they will not submit to discipline and kindness? By God's punishment, they cause us to behold their misfortune and grief. For it seldom happens that such perverse people die a natural or timely death. But the godly and obedient have this blessing. They live long in pleasant quietness and see their children's children, as said above, to the third and fourth generations, Psalm 128. Experience teaches that where there are honorable old families who do well and have many children, they certainly owe their origin to the fact that some of them were brought up well and were full of regard for their parents. On the other hand, it is written of the wicked, may his posterity be cut off, May his name be blotted out in the second generation. Psalm 109, 13. Therefore note well how great a thing in God's sight obedience is. He values it so highly, is so highly pleased with it, and rewards it richly. He also enforces punishment rigorously on those who act against it. That is kind of what we think of and what we see or what we try to see in families that are well-established, that have that standing in society. We call it sometimes old money. But again, whether it is a lot of money or a little money, the fact that they have such a lineage, such a legacy, brings about a sense of honor and respect to them. And why is that? As Luther says, typically because somebody in that line has been 
honoring and respectful of their parents and other authorities. And that's how they got there in the first place. Does it always work out that way? No. Unfortunately, we have plenty of old money uh, throughout the world that they're all nasty, snarky people that want nothing but to be like Scrooge McDuck swimming in their vast vault of gold coins, wanting to keep it all to themselves, not being very honoring to their parents, authorities, or any of their neighbors. We pick back up in the Catechism in paragraph 140. All this I say that it may be well impressed upon the young, Deuteronomy 6-7. No one believes how necessary this commandment is, although it has not been valued and taught under the papacy up to this point. These are simple and easy words, and everybody thought he knew them before. Therefore, people pass by them lightly, crave other things, and do not see and believe that God is so greatly offended if these words are disregarded. They don't see that a person does a work so well-pleasing and precious if he follows them. In this commandment belongs a further statement above all, about all kinds of obedience to persons in authority who have to command and to govern. For all authority flows from and is born from the authority of parents. I want to stop here for a moment because this is where Luther gets into the fathers of state and our needing to obey and honor the government. Why? Because all authority on earth comes from and is based upon the idea of family. The family is the basic social building block upon which all of society, all of the world is based upon, which is why in the beginning God created Adam and Eve created a family, not just one person to then spawn off another. Continuing on, where a father is unable alone to educate his rebellious and irritable son, he uses a schoolmaster to teach the child. If he is too weak, he gets the help of his friends and neighbors. If he departs this life, he delegates and confers his authority and government upon others who are appointed for the purpose. Likewise, a father must have domestic manservants and maidservants under himself for the management of the household. So all whom we call masters are in the place of parents and must give their power and authority to govern from them. So also men are called fathers in the scriptures who are in the government to perform. So also men are are all called fathers in the scriptures who in their government perform the functions of a father and have a paternal heart toward their subordinates. From antiquity, the Romans and other nations called the masters and mistresses of the household house fathers and house mothers. They called their national rulers and overlords fathers of the entire country. This is a great shame to us who would be Christians because we do not give them the same title or at least do not value and honor them as fathers. So everyone in the scriptures called a father has some sort of fatherly, paternal government that they must perform. Whether it is the actual physical fatherhood of a child, or it is the master of a house over the maidservants and manservants, or the mayor, or the governor, or the president, king, emperor, what have you, whatever title they are given, all of it comes from a paternal heart. 
which is why you have in ancient times house fathers and house mothers. You have fathers of the entire country. And in America, we seem to only equate that with George Washington. But that would truly be every one of the presidents, not just Washington, but all those who have followed after him. Even Joe Biden, our current president, still the father of the country, because that is the office he is in by God's grace. Paragraph 143. Now the honor a child owes to a father and mother is owed by all who are included in the household. Therefore, manservants and maidservants should be careful to be obedient to their masters and mistresses. They should also honor them as their own fathers and mothers and do everything they know is expected of them, not forced and unwillingly, but with pleasure and joy because of what I just mentioned. It is God's command and is pleasing to him above all other works. They ought to pay for the privilege and be glad that they get masters and mistresses so that they may have such joyful consciences and know how they may do truly golden works. This is a matter that has been neglected and despised till now. Instead, everybody ran, in the devil's name, into convents or to pilgrimages and indulgences with loss of time and money and with an evil conscience. If this truth, then, could be impressed upon the poor people, a servant girl would leap and praise and thank God. With her tidy work, for which she receives support and wages, she would gain such a treasure of good works. It would be unlike all those gained by people regarded as saints. Is it not an excellent boast to know and say that if you perform your daily domestic task, this is better than all the sanctity and ascetic life of monks? You have the promise, in addition, that you shall prosper in all good and fare well. How can you lead a more blessed or holier life as far as your works are concerned? In God's sight, Faith is what really makes a person holy and serves him alone, Romans 4, 3-5. But the works are the service of the people. There you have everything good, protection and defense in the Lord, a joyful conscience, and a gracious God besides. He will reward you a hundredfold, Matthew 19, 27-29, so that you are like a knight if you are only pious and obedient. But if you are not, you have in the first place nothing but God's wrath and displeasure, no peace of heart, and afterward all kinds of plagues and misfortunes. Whoever will not be moved by this and lean toward godliness, we hand over to the hangman and to the skeleton man. Therefore, let everyone who allows himself to be advised remember that God is not joking. Know that it is God who speaks with you and demands obedience. If you obey him, you are his dear child. John 14, 23. And if you despise obedience, then take shame, misery, and grief for your reward. The same should also be said about obedience to civil government. This, as we have said, is all included in the place of fatherhood and extends farthest of all relations. Here, father is not one person from a single family, but it means the many people the father has as tenants, citizens, or subjects. Through them, as through our parents, God gives to us food, house and home, protection and security. They bear such name and title with all honor as their highest dignity that it is our duty to honor them and to value them greatly as the dearest treasure and the most precious jewel upon earth. We live in a society very much like the medieval world that Luther is talking about. 
in America with the great voting system and the great democracy that we have, we have a problem if our guy isn't voted in. The hashtags went out for four years under Trump, not my president. So they started to do it when Biden was elected, not my president. The deal is, he's the president either way, whether you voted for him or not. That is what makes a democracy a democracy. It is the voice of the people speaking out in majority. And whether you voted for him or not, and this doesn't matter if it's just the president, could be the governor, could be the city mayor and the city council people. You still owe them, under the fourth commandment, the honor and respect of their office. Because God has given them that office by by spawning it off of the office of Father. Let's finish out with paragraphs 151 to 157. The person who is obedient in this is willing and ready to serve. He cheerfully does all that deals with honor. He knows that he is pleasing God and that he will receive joy and happiness for his reward. If he will not do this in love, but despises and resists authority or rebels, let him also know that he shall have no favor or blessing. Where he thinks he will gain a florin, he will lose ten times as much elsewhere. Or he will become a victim to the hangman, perish by war, pestilence, or famine. He will experience no good in his children and be obliged to suffer injury, injustice, and violence at the hands of his servants, neighbors, or strangers and tyrants. For what we seek and deserve is paid back and comes home to us. Galatians 6, 7. If we would ever allow ourselves to be persuaded that such works are pleasing to God and have so rich a reward, we would be completely established in abundant possessions and have what our hearts desire. Psalm 37, 4. But because God's word and command are so lightly esteemed, as though some peddler had spoken it, let us see whether you are the person to oppose him. How difficult do you think it will be for God to pay you back? You would certainly live much better with divine favor, peace, and happiness than with his displeasure and misfortune. Why do you think the world is now so full of unfaithfulness, disgrace, calamity, and murder? It is because everyone desires to be his own master and free from the emperor, to take care of to take to care nothing for anyone and to do what pleases himself. Therefore, God punishes one knave by another, so that when you defraud and despise your master, another comes and deals in the same way with you. Yes, in your household you must suffer ten times more from wife, children, or servants. We feel our misfortune. We murmur and complain of unfaithfulness, violence, and injustice. But we refuse to see that we ourselves are knaves who have fully deserved this this punishment. And And even by this, we are not reformed. We still have no favor and happiness. Therefore, it is only fair that we have nothing but misfortune without mercy. There must still be somewhere upon earth some godly people, because God continues to grant us so much good. On our own account, we should not have a farthing in the house nor a straw in the field. All this I have been obliged to urge with so many words in the hope that someone may take it to heart. Then we may be relieved of the blindness and misery in which we are stuck so deeply. Then we may truly understand God's word and will and seriously accept it. We would learn how we could have joy, happiness, and salvation enough, both now and eternally. Here, Luther gives us the truly biblical understanding that has been 
morphed into the idea of karma. You know, what comes around goes around. God uses, to use Luther's terms, knaves to punish knaves. Because truly, each and every one of us is a knave. We are all seeking our own pleasure. We are all seeking what we want and what will help advance our goals and our desires. And when those things overstep what God commands, he uses other sinners to then bring about misfortune for us. You see this as you go through the Old Testament history. Israel rebelled against God, and God sent the Assyrians and destroyed them. Judah rebelled against God, had sent the Assyrians, but God wiped out the Assyrians, but then did not wipe out the Babylonians that came after. And on and on it goes throughout history. God judges people. God unleashes his punishments in this world by other sinners. But there has to be some godly people for there to be any good in this world. And that is also us. Those of us who have been baptized into the blood of the Lamb, that have washed our robes, made them white, and have been forgiven of our sins, made godly by God himself through his Son. And it is only through his Son that we have any reprieve from what we deserve. We have any mercy whatsoever. And that is the point, isn't it? That God still retains the world because of the promise of his Son. And that is what brings us the ability to wrestle with everything around us, whether it is theologies out there that are spoken and brought out in great terms or just the theologies that form in our hearts and in our minds as to what we think ought to be right. The promise of good because of Jesus grants us the strength to wrestle with the theologies. And this is Pastor Doug Minton, hoping that this look at the fourth commandment and this part of the large catechism helps you with that this week. Amen.